Amen. Well, hey, give the band a hand for a second just for leading us in worship. That was awesome. That was awesome. All right. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. And so uh, a big part of how we do that is as we gather together on Sunday, we, we sing songs to Jesus and about Jesus. Um, we um, open up God's word and we always want God's story to inform and impact our story. And so uh, last week we began a series that's going to take us all the way through the month of January on the book of Ruth called From Bitter to Blessed. And this series and this book uh, is really about how do we move on and move forward and, and have a path ahead for healing and wholeness when desolation strikes, when difficulty strikes, when we face adversity, when we find ourselves in, in these places uh, of grief uh, and of pain. Uh, and so uh, maybe that's not where you're at today. That, that's awesome. Um, some of us just lost two of our favorite football coaches in one week, and we're just like, I don't even know if I'm going to watch football again. Is there a path forward for football? I don't know. Maybe I'll start watching lacrosse. Who's to say? Um, and so, um, but, but wherever you're at today, right, we, we all suffer. We, we, all, we all experience difficulties. We all have pain. We all have loss. And so how are we going to get up off the mat? How are we going to move forward? How are we going to experience healing and how are we going to experience wholeness that God wants for us? And so uh, in this book, uh, last week we did Ruth chapter 1. Um, hopefully on your way in, uh, you've got uh, one of our discipleship guides. We're in Ruth chapter 2 this week, week 2. Uh, this is one of our scripture journals. Uh, it has the book of Ruth in it, so you can kind of keep up with where we're at. But let me just, just spend a couple minutes recapping Ruth 1, because uh, this whole book is, is, is one story. And so if you, if you miss an episode, right, and you're coming in in episode 2, you're like, who's that? What's going on? Where are they? Don't worry, I got you, Okay. Ruth chapter 1, um, we, we get to meet this, this family uh, in the midst of a, of a national and global famine. It said it was the time of the judges for God's people, which, which meant there was a famine of leadership. There was a famine of, of um, healthy spirituality. There was a famine of morality. There's a, a famine uh, economically. Um, and so uh, it was a, a wicked time where it said everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And, and, and in that, God had promised his people like flourishing and fullness in this promised land. And yet generations went by, like multiple generations of faithlessness. And at a certain point, God said, hey, when there's sin, there's going to be consequences. And, I mean, and intrinsically, we all know this, right? We, we all know when there's sin or when we wrong someone or when we've done something. We know that there are eventually consequences. And so God's patient, but he's also just. And, and the world experiences a famine. And this family in the town of Bethlehem, which is this town whose name means like house of bread, house of fullness, um, they, they were supposed to be faithful to God. And the, the husband, whose name was Elimelech, um, uh, he says, hey, things are difficult here. We don't know if it was him or his wife, Naomi. But at a certain point, they say, hey, let's take our family and let's go out to, to Moab and maybe we'll find some food there. 
And, and to be clear, this isn't like, hey, you moved to Idaho or Florida, you know, or whatever, because you just wanted to try something different. This is like, hey, no, no, I'm going to leave like all that I know, all of where I'm called to be, uh, all of where I've been rooted and like going to Iran and thinking that things are going to get better for you right? Moab was an even more wicked nation than where God's people had been. I don't mean to single out Iran. Um, there's other places you could go. Um, you know, Canada is also kind of rough right now. Um, and so um, re regardless, where they're going, they think is going to be greener pastures, but it's not where God has for them. It's not where he's called them to be. And so it starts maybe okay for a while, but after a decade of desolation, we see that, that Naomi has lost her husband, Elimelech, he's died. And her two sons, Malon and Kilion, um, they um, meet Moabite women and they marry them, which, which in the Old Testament was like verboten because it was like, hey, you're going to end up taking on the spirituality of who you marry. And so, so it was an Old Testament law against that. Uh, and so she's like, you know, 10 years in or so, and she's like, my husband's gone. My sons have married the, these uh, women who um, ha have, you know, uh, practiced just pagan, wicked religion. Uh, and, and then they die. And it's a decade of desolation for a woman named Naomi, whose name means sweet. And so she's working in the fields and she's heard um, that, that God has actually been faithful to his people. He's, he's visited uh, them back in Bethlehem, it says. And, and God's visitation to his people looks like provision. And so she hears while she's working on Moab, there's food back in Bethlehem. Home is calling for her. And so she starts saying, okay, I'm going to go ahead and repent of this, this 10 years of walking away from where God has me and wants me. And I'm going to return. I'm going to go home. And on the way home, they come to a crossroads. And sometimes you and I come to crossroads and decision points. And, and, and things might be tough in Bethlehem. Things are for sure tough in Moab. And when we come to those crossroads, the, the, the real question isn't always between a good choice and a better choice. Sometimes it's between two choices that are terrible or tough. And so we said last week, we've got to ask ourselves, where is God calling me? How is God leading me? What does he want for me? And so for Naomi, it's to go home. Her two daughter-in-laws are going to go with her. Uh, and she just says, hey, um, guys, uh, I'm going back to Bethlehem. I might meet some people that can help me. I got nothing for you. I don't have sons. All three of us are widows. Um, there's no help, no support. Why don't you go back home to your families in Moab? And one of them, Orpah, decides to go home. And the other, Ruth, says, no, no, why are you telling me? Why are you telling me to not go with you? Like, like your God is going to be my God. I'm renouncing the pagan religions of Moab. I believe and trust in the God of the Bible. Come what may. And then she says, and your people are going to be my people. Yeah, I'm going to come in as a foreigner. I'm going to come in as a refugee. But I am going, I want citizenship in the kingdom of God. I'm going to adopt your people as my people and hope that I'm also adopted. I'm going to throw in my entire lot with your God and with your people. And Naomi like, doesn't even have like, energy to protest anymore. She's like, fine, we'll just, we'll just keep going. And so they roll into town, into Bethlehem. 
After 10 years, she's been gone. And uh, what happens is the whole town's kind of a buzz. And they're like, hey, hey, this is Naomi. Remember she left with Elimelech and her two boys, Malon and Kilion, they had weird names. Wonder what happened to them. And before, they, they could be like, welcome home. We're so glad you're here. We've missed you. Like there was no Facebook or Instagram. So I don't even know what's going on in your life. Um, and so like, just tell me the story. She's like, hold up, hold up. You called me Naomi. That name means sweet. Don't call me that. God himself is against me. Rather, call me Mara, which names means bitter. She's like, God's not good. God's not good to me. He's against me. I have nothing. And we said, well, well, hold up. Even in our most difficult seasons, we often have more hope and more provision than we can see. When we are in pain, we can't see the path forward. When all we see is what we've lost, we don't see what's there. There's no like, yeah, I'm back, it's rough. Here's Ruth, who's pledged her friendship and loyalty to me. And so um, she's bitter, she's done with God, she's made, it, she's made a few steps, she's made it that far, but she's like, just, just, you know, she's put the wall up, right? Sometimes when we come into church on a Sunday, we've already put the wall up, but don't ask me how I'm doing. And so there's this little glimmer of hope at the end of chapter one, where it just simply says, it's the time of the barley harvest. Meaning the famine is over. Provision is here. Blessing is there. There is more hope than we can see when we're in pain. And all of that leads us here into Ruth chapter two, which says this. We're gonna meet a new character here today. New guy. Ruth chapter two. I'm gonna break this up into three sections starting verses one through seven. Ruth chapter two, one through seven says this. Now, Naomi, see, God still calls her. God's word still calls her sweet. Sorry, real quick. We said this last week. The names we call ourselves matter. The things we say about ourselves matter. She's saying, no, I'm bitter. I've been cut off by God. But God's word here says, no, no, you're still Naomi. You're still sweet. You're still beloved. You're still known. He knows his story. Okay, all right. We won't get out of here if I don't do this. Okay. Verses one through seven. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man or man of valor of the clan of Elimelech, that's her husband's clan, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was in the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reaper, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of his reapers, um, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reaper answered, oh, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please just let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for just a short rest. So there's a lot of things here. First of all, you know, we've already met Ruth, we've met Naomi, and now we get to meet uh, Boaz. And so, um, like as I said, even in the most dire situations, there's usually a lot more hope than we realize and so Naomi, who says, I am empty, I have nothing, she is not as empty as she thinks she is, or as she perceives that she is. 
See, she's back in Bethlehem. She's in a place from her husband's family. They have a big clan, big family. There's, there's lots of cousins and distant cousins and all these different people, right, that are, that are there that could help. And so uh, and she's related to this guy, Boaz. And, and, and Boaz has a few things going for him. One is he's worthy. Hey, that's great. He's a good dude. But he's got something that's always somehow seems intrinsically attractive. He's wealthy. He's got some money. Okay, in a time of famine and destitution, Boaz owns a field, he's got a business going, he's got workers, like, like, like he's, he's producing something, and that's awesome. He is, a, he is an, well, we'll see here, he's an eligible bachelor, but he is a prime candidate to, to help out. And so what happens, though, for Naomi is that pain, this happens to us too, pain can paralyze us and keep us from healing and wholeness. When we're experiencing pain, when, 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 when we, we may desire healing, sometimes we can still get stuck. And Naomi here in this text, she appears that she's still stuck. And, and, and this, I do think this happens, right? She's suffered greatly. I mean, nobody would wish upon their greatest enemies um, uh, like what happened to her and her family over those 10 years. She's, she's suffered. She um, um, she suffered a ton. She is repented of going to Moab all those years ago. She's returned home. Uh, and, and like she's gone through a lot. She's back in this, this new place, but really it's a familiar place for her for the purpose of healing and wholeness. But she's still stuck. And sometimes I do think this happens to us on, on, when we're on a spiritual journey or on a journey of healing. Like, like you finally get to the place, we said, where she was in the fields of Moab where there's nothing there. We keep going back, we said, to the spiritual refrigerator, opening it up, seeing there's nothing there. We're hungry, we're starving. She's like, that's, that's not gonna satisfy anymore. And, and she repents, she, she turns from that and she starts walking back towards where God has her. And sometimes we put a lot of effort in and we, we make that change of direction and we get ourselves, you know, just away from that bad situation, but we're still not ready to move on and move into like, like the next thing that God has for us. And so like, like this is so interesting because like, how do we even know about Boaz? Like, like Ruth brings it up here. Like, like Ruth, unlike Naomi, like she's ready to be proactive. She's, she's, she's suffering too. We said like, she's lost her husband. She's a widow. She's poor. She's destitute. She's hungry. She's been on a long journey. And, and add to this, she's a Moabite. Oh man, there are few worse things you could be uh, in Israel in this time than a Moabite. She is for sure an outsider in every way imaginable. And yet she's, she's saying, no, I'm gonna go ahead and be proactive. See, when we find ourselves stuck, we, we need to just take the next best step. And sometimes we're so stuck that it takes somebody else to walk along with us. Somebody else who's, who's, who's maybe a little farther ahead in their path of, of healing. Maybe somebody else who, who's like, hey, hey, I'm hurting too. I'm walking with a limb too, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you. Because when we, when we suffer grief and we suffer pain and we get that, that this, like our world gets about this big and we don't want to move, we don't want to do anything. And yet, like things are, I mean, this is a tough time. Like they've made this journey. They don't have any money. They don't have any food. Like they, they got to get something to eat. Like, like even when we're suffering, even when we're in grief, like, like there, there's, there's still laundry to do. 
right? There's still dishes to do. There's still lawns to mow. You still got to take a shower, right? Right? Like you got to get going. You got to move and do something. And so when we're paralyzed with grief, we still need that simple provision for sustenance. And so we see that with, with Ruth, she has a very active faith. Where, where last week we said Naomi was able to count all of the curses that had happened. Hey, I don't have sons. I don't have heirs. Even if I got married now, there's no way I'd have sons for you guys down the road. Like, like, like instead of counting curses, Ruth is looking for opportunities. Ruth is saying, okay, this, this sucks. This is terrible. We left Moab. We're here now. Now what? And some of you are, are stuck. You, you've made a few steps. You've made some progress. But it's time to say like, hey, what, what's next? Where is God calling you? Where is God leading you? Because what, what happens is Ruth and Naomi have gone through very similar things. The difference on their attitudes is their perspective. And I just believe, I, I, this came to me this morning, so I'll just take it for what it is. Like, I believe that we will always find what we're looking for. Meaning, if you're, if you're looking for offense, if you're looking for loss, if you're looking for something awful, you're going to find it. Because we live in a broken world. We've got broken relationships. Like, like, but, but if you are looking for hope, if you're looking for opportunity, if you're looking for like, where is God leading? What's the next? I just believe God will be faithful to guide us in that. I mean, like, like yesterday, I went for a run, and, and there's two things that really stuck out to me on that run in the morning. Um, one was, like, it's 12, not miles that I ran, degrees, 12 degrees. And immediately, I was, like, regretting my decision. But then, then I got to the dock on the lake, and it was beautiful. Two things can be true at the same time. It was beautiful, and it was brutal. And so for Naomi, she's, she's still stuck in the brutal. And, and, and Ruth's like, hey, hey, um, you told me you've got this rich relative. And I say that like, like we can assume that because there's no way Ruth would have known about Boaz unless Naomi at some point's like, you know, she's there and, and Ruth is like, hey, so who do we know in this town? She's like, oh, there's, there's Carl. Yeah, he you know, doesn't do much. There's this guy, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, there's Boaz. Oh, tell me about Boaz. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's a mighty man of valor. Um, and um, he just owns a field and he's pretty wealthy. He's single. Uh, he hasn't been, been married yet. Um, yeah, I don't know about that, whatever. And, and Ruth is like, wait, hold up, what? So she, she's ready to take that step. And so Ruth is proactive. We're called to be active in our faith. And sometimes, and I say sometimes, we're called to participate in our own healing. Like I said, some of you are stuck in very difficult circumstances. And yet there are people that want to support you. There's, there's help. There's, there, like, like there's, you're not alone. And you're just like, no, no, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to ask for help. Um, a friend of mine uh, told me recently, what you, what you don't change, you choose. And at a certain point, if you're choosing to be in a crappy situation or you're not changing it or you're not being proactive to say, I think there's some help out there. It doesn't have to stay like this. Healing is possible. Restoration is possible. Forgiveness is possible. But if you don't change, you're choosing to stay in those places. And so as Ruth is like, hey, I'm going to go ahead out now. 
You can almost see Naomi just like staring off into the distance out in a window. Just, it's just raining. And Ruth is like, hey, I'm going to go out and work in the field. And Naomi's like, yeah, yeah, that's great. She's not doing anything. She's stuck. She's paralyzed. She says, go, go my daughter. And so Ruth goes. She goes to, to glean in the field. She's poor. She's destitute. She doesn't have a lot of hope. She strikes out from the home. She's going to glean in the fields. And if you don't know what gleaning is, it is essentially an Old Testament um, welfare work program. Uh, and so uh, if you owned a field or, or you were um, uh, working a field, uh, you, were, you were told to, to let the corners go unharvested. And then after the harvesters and the reapers had come in, um, th- then the working poor could work the field by gleaning what remained. And so it was actually commanded by God as, as a way to help care for uh, the working poor. And so um, it was really, really difficult physical labor in the high heat. So maybe it wasn't raining that day. It was probably really hot that day. And, and, and so I want to be clear what it wasn't. Like it wasn't just like, here's your stimulus check, stay home. It wasn't an EBT card. It was like, hey, we're going to provide for you, but you are also going to take steps to help provide for yourself. See, this, I want to be clear what this isn't, though, because I don't want to get all too weird on it. This isn't God saying, God only helps those who help themselves. No, let's be clear. Spiritually speaking, we're all spiritually dead. Like, like it takes a work of the Holy Spirit to make us alive, to walk out the new life that God has for us. And so what it is saying is from the beginning, God actually prescribed work even before there was sin in the world as the way that, we, that he would provide for us through work, through cultivation. And so she's working. Ruth is being proactive. But while Ruth is being proactive, God is acting providentially. So you might notice a few times in this text, it says something like, it just so happens that she was in Boaz's field. And behold, Boaz just so happened to come back from Bethlehem. And you might think, wow, what a coincidence. That's amazing. Well, I want to be clear, as, as Christians, we actually don't believe in coincidence. Like, we, we don't believe that, that it, it's just a random, careless universe. And just, well, the universe just happened to align Worked out for Ruth. That's good. I mean, like sometimes you watch a movie and you're like, really? That just worked out? Let me tell you why it worked out. Because the writers wrote it into the story. And in this case, this is God's providential hand. Like he's not mentioned a lot in um, this book explicitly. So when you see things in the Bible and particularly in this text that look like coincidence, it's actually saying, no, this is God's hand working in the situation. Sometimes we just have to, have to have eyes to see that God's actually at work. He's blessing Ruth in her circumstances. And so this isn't, like I said, the universe aligned. It is God-ordained. And so, you know, as, as Christians, like, like we don't worship a random God of coincidence. We worship an intentional God of providence. And so Ruth is going to get to experience some provision and some blessing and some healing. But God's hand is the one that's, that's moving the chess pieces on the chessboard. And that leads us to this point in verse 4 where it says, Behold, Boaz. That actually, it's not a throwaway word. Actually, hey, okay, let's look at Boaz now. We've seen Naomi. She's bitter. We've seen Ruth. She's being proactive. Now let's meet this guy, Boaz. 
All right, what do, what do we know about him? Um, your study guide has a little bit more about him, but as I said, he's a member of Elimelech's clan. He's a distant relative of Naomi's. He is known in Bethlehem as a worthy man of great character. The, that phrase, worthy man, is translated in other places in the Old Testament to mean a mighty man of valor. We said last week that this was a time of intense conflict. There was wars and invasions and all sorts of things going on. And so it's highly likely that if Boaz was a mighty man of valor, he might be a decorated veteran who's like stood in the gap as, as, as like everything else is going nuts around him. And now it's more of a peaceful time. And he's saying, okay, I, I've protected my people here. Now I want to help provide for my people by, by cultivating like this small business, like, like, like providing for his workers, helping the flourishing of his community. And we learn a little bit about his character from his first words. He shows up on the scene. He's the boss. And, and man, this place is like Chick-fil-A. Because they're just like, let's talk about Jesus right now. He shows up to work and he's like, he's like, the Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. And, and, and his workers all kind of respond in unison like, the Lord bless you too. Like he's actually set up a culture in, in his business of loving and honoring the Lord. And so he's respected by his workers. We'll see later that he's regarded by men of influence in the city gate. And, and, and then there's this moment where you know, field, workers, all that stuff. And, and something happens. It happens when guys are, are single at times. He notices. The radar goes off. Hey, I know my staff. Well, who, who's that? And he's like, oh, well, I can't just be like, hey, what's up, girl? You knew? Right? So, so he, 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 you know, he's... He's been single a long time, so I don't know. Like maybe he's a little socially awkward. So, so he just goes. Okay, I'm just gonna ask the foreman. Hey, hey, hey. who's that? Who, who hired her? I don't think I was in on her interview. He's like, oh yeah. His foreman's like, yeah, no, that's that's Ruth the Moabite. You know, she's from another country. I don't even love the God of the Bible, but she came back. She came back with um, with with your cousin Naomi, and she's she's here to work. And oh man. She showed up and she's just like, hey, can I just, I'm not asking for a handout. I just want to glean. I just want to, want to do what the Bible, Bible says is okay. I, I just, will you let me go after you guys and, and, and get what I can here? And, and dude, you should, she's been working all day. She took a little break, but she's been working all day. Like, literally says it right in the text. I love it. It's like, you know, took a little break. Okay, working all day. And so he's like, okay, all right, this is, this is interesting. All right, so here's a little bit about her. And then um, we'll, we'll just see what happens here in verses 8 through 16. So he's, he's seen her, hasn't met her yet. Here we are, verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, um, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. And she said, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done. And a full reward will be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. 
Then she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. So they have this conversation, and then verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, well, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. All right, let's stop here. So this is what's interesting, is... Here we are in the Bible. It's this, 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 this time, like we said, of the judges. It, it, it's awful. It's brutal. Economic hardships, all these different things are going on. And in the middle of it is this like little romantic comedy, Blessed in Bethlehem, right? And it's like, you know, in the backdrop of horrible famine and war where the cities are lawless and all sorts of horrible things are happening. You know, Sidney Sweeney and Ryan Reynolds star in blessed in Bethlehem, right? It's the meet cute. Like he actually, he's like, okay, he goes and he, and he meets her. And, and it's, it's, like I said, it is fit for a romantic comedy if the romantic comedy takes place in the recovery of a dystopian wasteland. Um, and so this is all going on. They meet for the first time. And, and, but, but here's what Boaz calls out. He, he's heard of her character. He's heard of her faithfulness. He says, he knows her reliance on the Lord. He's seen her work ethic. Like, I mean, she, she is a woman of great character and, and he, he grants her great favor by saying, hey, don't go glean in any other fields. He treats her not like an outcast beggar, not like a foreigner that's like, oh, why are they even here? No, instead of treating her like an outsider, he, he makes her an insider. He, he treats her like he's one of her staff. He promised her this is her provision. You know, hey, my field's always going to have something for you. Direction, like, like, like hey, go, go work with my young women. They'll, they'll show you the best ways to, to glean here. There's some community for you as well. You'll be known. He offers her protection. Like, like we said, this is the time of the judges. Like, like men were not great then. And so he's saying, hey, if you... If you stay in my field, I will make sure that you are protected from, from everything else that could happen to you working out in a field alone with a bunch of people that don't know you in a time of moral decay. I will give you provision and I will give you protection. And so she's arrived as an outsider with little hope and now she's being treated as an insider. And, and I just believe that this is what a picture of what a good gospel community church looks like. Where people who have sought refuge in the God of the Bible, regardless of what their background is, come in and they get to experience provision and protection and they get to experience community. And so for Ruth... We see that she's being, in some regards, rewarded. She's like, why, why are you giving me all this favor? Why would you do this? She's, she's humbled. She's honored. And he says, well, it's because you've relied on the Lord. You left, you left those foreign gods. You left your family. You've clung and served Naomi, even in your new grief. You've sought a new life with God and his people. And you've, you've been intentionally walking out the new life that God has for you. And so um, she sought refuge in the right place. 
When we're spiritually hurting, we need to make sure that we're seeking refuge in the right place. When Ruth left that morning, she said, I'm just going to go to the field where I hope I'm going to find some favor. And so she didn't just go out to beg. She's like, no, no, if I go to this field, I believe that there's going to be provision there. I believe that I'm going to be cared for and get some favor And so Boaz might be the one who's tangibly blessing her, but he's acknowledging that his role is just, he's just a conduit of God's grace and blessing to her. He's saying, you sought refuge in the Lord, that's going to be honored. Like, like is it easy? No, she's still working in the field. Like, like it doesn't always mean God's blessing and favor. It doesn't mean you don't suffer difficulties. It doesn't mean you don't have injuries. It doesn't mean that there aren't bad things that happen. But it means that God is with you to sustain you and carry you through, come what may. And so we see that God honors her faithfulness, in this case, with mercy and kindness. And so I just want you to know that you, you, you and I, we may endure suffering. We will probably endure suffering. But God does say, hey, I see your faithfulness. Like, like every time that, that you're wondering, does, does anybody even know what I'm going through right now? Know that God sees it and God knows it. You are not alone in your suffering. He's calling you to a field of provision, to a field of protection. He's saying, I see your faithfulness and and he's going to honor it with provision and protection. He makes us new. He renews us to walk out this new life. And so, like I said, God knows your story. He knows your story better than Boaz knows Ruth's story. And he's there for you. And he wants you on a path that leads to healing. He wants to restore and renew you. He's calling you to root yourself in his field with his people. Don't go looking around at other gods. Don't go looking around for for other spiritualities that ultimately just point you back to yourself. He's saying, this is where provision and protection is found, under the refuge of the cross, under the refuge of our King Jesus. And so... She works for a little while longer. We're going to keep this going. Um, and it's time for a break. Um, they have their kind of like, kind of have their first date. And it gets a little awkward. You know, Boaz is like on one end of the table. She's on the other end of the table. And he's like, hey, hey, send her some of this roasted grain. I'm sure it's tasty. Okay. Like, he's like, hey, dip your morsel in the, the wine. Like that throughout the Bible is, is shown as a sign of, of fellowship and friendship and blessing and honor. And so, they, yeah, I mean, is he trying to, is he trying to flatter her? Maybe a bit. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I'm not gonna, I don't want to psychoanalyze all these people. Okay, let's just, let's just stick to the text. But she's welcomed at the table. And it says she has the best meal she's had in a long time. She is satisfied. When we are spiritually empty and we seek refuge in Christ, Our hearts move from famine to fullness. That's what God does in his Holy Spirit. And so Boaz extravagantly blesses Ruth. Like the law just said, hey, let the poor work in your thing when you're done. He's like, okay, hey, let's like actually, uh, let's just bless her. Like make sure that she's in the place where there's lots of stuff. And then, hey, why don't you pull out some bushels and like just make the gleaning real easy for her. And so she like, She's extravagantly blessed, well beyond the legal obligations. He wants to make sure her gleaning is profitable. And so I'll just say this briefly. 
to the men in particular. This world and this culture is defined by men not leading, not loving, not protecting, not working hard, being selfish, being violent. That's going on in the time of the judges. None of that's happening now. As much as you're able, be a Boaz. He's a man of worth, a man of valor. He's a man who's there saying, I want to intentionally provide and protect a a field of flourishing for the people that are in his sphere of influence and for those who need protection most, who need provision most. It might take humility. It might take repentance on, on our part, on your part, to say, I, I've been actually the man of, of violence. I, I've, I've not been a man of valor. That, that, that's okay. We believe in a God who forgives. We believe in a God who makes new. And so maybe this is your day to repent of being a guy from the time of the judges and saying, I believe God's called me and made me to be a Boaz in my marriage, in my business, in my church, in my community, to be a man of valor Empowered by the Holy Spirit, yes, like walking out Jesus as our Savior and as our example. But like, there's not a lot of heroes in the Bible. In fact, there's just one. The only real hero is Jesus. I'm sure that Boaz is not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. I'm sure y'all aren't perfect. But he is seen as an example of what it looks like when a man prioritizes provision and protection of his family and his community. I, I just believe that All ships rise with the tide on that one. We all do better when that happens. Okay. End of rant on that. Last verse is in Ruth, and then we'll close. 17 through 23 says this. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about um, uh, an aphis of barley, and, and she took it up, and she went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she'd gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where where do you glean today? Where where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she worked, and she said, "Um, the man's name with whom I work today is is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, listen to this, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living of the dead. Naomi said to her, the man's a close relative of ours. He's one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Uh, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young women until they finish all the harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. See, not not a great time. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother in law And so this is where we start to see hope ahead for Naomi. I mean, this is me. Ruth's already been walking out some steps of health. Naomi has been at home. It is one day. She works all day. She returns home with what would be roughly 30 to 50 pounds of barley. Like, like we're talking like the big bags of dog food, only it's like not dog food. It's like people food, right? And so like, like she brings it all the way to the sea. That would have been like over a week's uh, provision for the two of them in one day of work. 
Like, like this is amazing that, that she would acquire all of this because of the kindness and favor she's received. And so I want you to hear this. Sometimes God sustains us and he gives us just enough. Right? We saw that with God's people in the wilderness, they got their manna, they got their daily bread, right? Jesus tells us to pray as disciples for our daily bread. Sometimes God's provision for us is just sustenance, and that's okay. Like, like, it's another day lived. It's another step forward. It's another day of provision. Praise God. And sometimes, sometimes God's provision is extravagant for us. And we're to just receive that with blessing and thanksgiving. Like, whoa, I got something more than daily bread. That's fantastic. This is, and it just, it, it, it like, it stirs our soul. Like, I want, I want to be clear. We're called to be content in, in all circumstances. But there's something unique that happens when we experience extravagant blessing. And so I, I don't want to sound all healthy and wealthy uh, on this because that's not what I'm trying to say here. Uh, because God is faithful and good even in those times of, of just sustenance. But there are times where God's extravagant provision happens to line up at a time of your desolation and your brokenness. And it's like, it just puts air in your lungs and spring in your step. And so like God can and he does change our hearts even in difficult circumstances. So I'm not here to promise you your circumstances are gonna change or this is your year of breakthrough. Like, I don't know what God has for you in the days and weeks, months and years ahead. But what I do know is that, that God will change our hearts regardless of our circumstances. And sometimes God uses our circumstances to change our hearts. And that's what he does here. I mean, Naomi's like a few days removed from, I'm empty, I'm bitter, call me Mara, I got nothing. To like one bag of barley to say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. He's so good to us, he's remembered us. Like, Sometimes we're just these wilted plants where just a little drop of water just gives us some life. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been in the wilderness. Maybe you've been in the valley. And, and I just want you to know that God's grace to you is unmerited favor. Where Ruth, I mean, like she had to work for this, gra this grace. Like she gleaned grace, if you will. Like what God's grace is, is something you haven't earned. It's you're not Boaz in this story. You're not Naomi. Excuse me. You're not Ruth in this story. We're all just spiritually Naomi. We're stuck spiritually until God in his goodness just gives us a, a heaping bag of the Holy Spirit in us to give us joy. To help us be reminded that he is for us and for you. That there is hope ahead. And so sometimes... He just wants to equip us and encourage us so that we can be restored and renewed. And sometimes his faithfulness is so that we can be a blessing to others. Boaz was faithful in the story, blessed Ruth. Ruth was faithful in the story, and it was a blessing to Naomi. And so when we are blessed, it can give birth to more hope. It's God's grace that changes us. And when God's grace changes us, it changes how we see ourselves, not, not, not as, as, as sinners and rebels, but in, in forgiveness and faith in Jesus, we're seen as, as, as citizens and saints. That we're not orphans spiritually, but we're part of the family when our faith and trust is in Jesus. 
And so we see that in a world filled with violent, selfish men, here's Boaz, a family redeemer, and he has the potential to bring them lasting security, even future flourishing. And so for, for Ruth, it just says she just kept going to the field. She just kept working. She just kept doing the next best step. She remained where provision and protection are present. And so for, for you, for us, like as, as a church, I just, I want us to be people who just every week we are just gathering to glean God's grace. We're just gathering to glean God's grace. We're going to the fields where we know there's food. We know there's, we know there's spiritual food in prayer. We know there's spiritual food in God's word. We know that there's God's people and we gather together as a church. Like, like that, that we're going to fields where spiritual provision can actually be found. And, and there's times where we're just going to feel like Naomi, where we're going to feel stuck. It's going to take somebody else to say, hey, there's hope forward. Like, hey, go, go ahead, like, like, raise your hand. I need help. Like, take that step. Ask a friend. Go to counseling. Do what you need to allow God to work in your heart, regardless of whether your circumstances may change. But, but also, I want us, lastly, last verses as we close. I want us to know that, yes, God does give us spiritual daily bread, but we also believe in a God who's just extravagant. Ephesians chapter three, New Testament. Paul, the apostle, writing to this church in Ephesus in chapter three, verses 14 through 21. He just prays this prayer as we close. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father in verse 14. From every family in heaven on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, right, being in the right field, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, all those whose faith is in Jesus, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That when our faith is in Jesus, we move from being spiritually empty to spiritually full. Verse 20, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power of the work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen, it says. It is God's grace to us in Jesus Christ that brings us healing and wholeness. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us strength to endure, to take that bold next step of healing. It is the Father's love that is so immeasurable to us that we can't even comprehend. And then, and then God's grace, like I said, Ruth earned some of that barley, okay? I want you to know, you cannot earn the grace of God. It is given to you extravagantly. That if we all got what we deserve, we, we get death and destruction. But God's mercy and grace to us found in Jesus is that Jesus is our sacrifice. He takes the punishment we deserve for our sin. He gives us his righteousness, his perfect position before God that we can't work for or earn. That we are seen no longer as spiritual outsiders, but as insiders. And then he invites us to a table. He invites us to a meal, one of fellowship, friendship, and favor, where we take the bread that represents his body broken for us, and we dip it in the cup representing his 
blood shed for us so that we can be reminded that there's provision and protection when we seek refuge under the cross, when we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.